my favorite Christmas song is Drummer Boy, and it's not really one you can lead people singing because there's a lot of vocables is what they're called. Anyway, um, for me, uh, I don't know, I, I'm a perfectionist, so which is kind of a negative thing, mostly. Um, and it's just a great reminder of just bringing the best that you can do at the moment. And, um, and this idea that all he had was the drum. Uh, I don't know, it's like the one song that makes me tear up for some reason, so... They told me pa-pa-pum-pum A new king to see pa-pa-pum-pum Our finest gifts we bring pa-pa-pum-pum To lay before the king, pa rumpa pum pum, rumpa pum pum, rumpa pum pum. For to honor him, pa rumpa pum pum. When we come, baby Jesus, pa. I am a poor boy to pour up a pump pump. I have no gifts to bring pour up a pump pump. That's fit to give a king pour up a pump pump. Rumpa pum pum, rumpa pum pum. Shall I play for you? Rumpa pum pum on my drum. Mary nodded. Rumpa pum pum. The ox and lamb kept time for a pum pum. I played my best for him for a pum pum. I played my drum for him for a pum pum. Rumpa pum pum. Rumpa pum. Then he smiled at me, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, me and my drum, me and my drum, me and my drum. microphone on? Yes, it is.
I, uh, I spent a lot of time studying the Little Drummer Boy song, uh, and uh, I will tell you that that uh, the best, or not the best, the worst sentiment I saw about it is that it's the song uh, that parents dislike the most because it encourages folks to give their kids drums for Christmas. Uh, um, and I am very happy Nathan chose it, but I'll tell you, all right, so the series we're working on, um, I, Christmas is always a challenging uh, sermon series, and, and I always kind of kind of struggle with uh, the right way to come at it, because, I mean, if you've been going to church your whole life, you have heard this, I mean, you're talking about like a dozen passages, right? I mean, it's, you know, a very tight collection of verses, and you've heard Christmas sermons, and you've heard, and I... There's so much depth and so much material, and there's so much like value to it, but like like finding things that are not a repetition or are um, you know draw you in in a way that like teaches you something, which is a huge deal to me. I want people to learn. I want people to get something else out of it. And so I, I'm always looking for a different way to do it. And so this season we are going to be doing. Uh, I'm letting the worship leaders direct where sermons are going. Um, I'm having them pick songs that are meaningful to them. That, that touch their hearts, and I'm going to uh, do that, and like, like use those as sort of the, the illustration in the opening end of the sermon. And, and, and really, I felt comfortable with that because um, there's so much scriptural depth, like in Christmas music. I mean, you start really like joy to the world, you know, and, and uh, you know, like all of these Christmas songs that have this, this huge scriptural undercurrent. Um, you know, and, oh, this singing about this or singing about that. And, and then Nathan brought me the little drummer boy. <laughs> which is not, like, he's not actually a figure that appears in Scripture. I'm sorry, guys. Like, uh, the claymation thing, pretty cool, not biblical. Um, but as I, as I began to research and I began to study and I began to meditate and pray on it, I, I'm actually pretty excited about it. Um, and here's why. Like, first off, this is a song that was written in about 1940 in English, right? Um, the original was written in Czech uh, quite a bit earlier, um, but it does not, it doesn't go anywhere near that far back. Um, it, it, it's not scriptural, but there's this fundamental truth um, that, that is scriptural and that is deeply connected to, um, to the Christmas story, to the Christmas narrative. Um, and so, so we're going to kind of dig in a little deep. This will be a weird Christmas sermon. I'm going to warn you up front, uh, but we'll get there. Trust me. Um, one last thing. So Jesus' birth, um, there's one of these things that, that we see sort of threaded into the story of Christ's birth that, that's easy to miss because we live much, much later. Um, in the first century, a king being born was a huge deal. Um, a, like a, a firstborn son of a king or, or you know, ascendants to the throne. Um, the Zoroastrian faith, like these are guys who are sort of all over the Middle East and and there are actually Zoroastrians today. Still, there aren't as, all that many, but they are around. Um, they believe that you would see signs in the sky, and you would go to, you know, to, to see a new king based on the signs in the sky. And the, uh, you know, you would regularly have dignitaries and foreign national or foreign, you know, leaders, and they'd come and they'd bring wealth, and you know, wealth would be showered on this on this new king. And I mean, it was a huge deal. Whereas Christ's birth um, is very humble. Um, it is very lowly. Even the, the, the folks that come and visit, you know, they don't really represent the best of the best. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but actually, where we're going to start this week isn't going to be um, in the Christmas narrative. It's Luke 20. 
Uh, this is from the Passion Week, Luke's Passion uh, Week, like the, the week preceding uh, Good Friday. And, and it happens at the temple. And so Jesus is at the temple at the time. Um, maybe on the teaching steps, there's a set of steps on the side. Um, or maybe walking through the temple. It, it seems like he was either in, you know, in or around at the time. Um, and he was teaching, and he, he got into this argument with some, some Pharisees, or Sadducees, excuse me, and they, they had an exchange, and he kind of bested them. And um, after he's done talking to them, Jesus turns and he says this. Um, While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Merry Christmas. No, um, <laughs> so, so what's going on here is in the first century you had specialized um, jobs and the teachers of the law would be guys who specialized in reading and writing and studying the law. And they would memorize the entirety of the law, and their job was to consult, and they would, you know, they would um, be in various communities taking fees from people, like, like doing, doing the religious legal work. And um, they were very prominent. They were very well-educated. They would be like, like an upper echelon in society back then. The flowing robes... Um, Back then, if you were a religious person, you would wear clothes that declared it. And they were fancy, expensive clothes, robes with, with tassels and, and all kinds of other stuff. So everybody knew that guy is a Pharisee or that guy is a teacher of the law or that guy is this or that guy is that. And, and it would proclaim. And so these guys, Jesus is talking badly about these teachers of the law. He says, these guys are out there and they put on this huge show so everybody knows how good they are. And knows how awesome they are, and knows how you know holy and wonderful, and they love having the best seats, and they love like lengthy prayers. And there's that phrase, "devours widows' houses." And it took me a while. I researched quite a bit before I found anything that really explained this well. Um, if you go to Jerusalem, uh, the temple is enormous. Okay, I mean, like, and especially if you, you know, like, it, it dominated the city. It was, it was easily larger than Jerusalem when David was king. Okay, I mean, this is an enormous complex. And originally, it was the top of a mountain, and King Herod the Great came along, and he leveled the mountain out by building walls around the outside and filling them in, and he built a temple on the point of a mountain. Um, and in order to do this, some of the neighborhoods... Um, in particular, the poorer neighborhoods were were eaten up, right? I, when we lived in Indiana, there was a, um, a, a kind of a poor community next to where the uh, the Humvee factory was built, and there was a many many years they fought over um, over people losing their houses basically because they wanted to build this factory, and and you know there's a lot of retirees. It was really sad and all this, but like what Christ is trying to make here is listen, these guys. The temple itself, I mean, to build this giant, you know, quasi-Jewish, quasi-pagan building, they had to devour the homes of widows, like these poor neighborhoods. They had to consume them in order to put this up. And so he talks about these people who are huge 
in the religious community and well-respected and well-appreciated and looked highly upon. And like the temple that they, that they were so proud of was built there. I mean, that's, that's a harsh criticism, right? Um, and so he finishes talking. Um, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. Now, the temple treasury, like um, if you were making an offering, it would be in the court of women, which is outside of the, like the, you would have the temple and you have the court of men and then you have the court of women, right? And the court of women, like women couldn't go into the inner courts of the temple. And they had 13 offering boxes, right? And these 13 offering boxes were shaped like trumpets. Y'all kind of imagine in your head. I spent about an hour looking for pictures of these offering boxes or drawings, and I could not find anything. I found references in the, in the Talmud. I found all kinds of stuff. I could not find a single good picture of it. Um, and, and, but I, I, to explain it, I mean, it's like just a trumpet-shaped like, like, like metal thing. And what people would do is they would stand back and they would throw their money in, right? What would happen if you threw a, a big metal coin into, into a trumpet? Clang! It would make a lot of noise, right? And, like, the way that money was back then, my kids get, I always thought it was cute when my kids would find, like, oh, it's a dime, but the penny's bigger. (laughs) You go on with that, honey. You know, like, um, I love you, sweetheart. Uh, (laughs) The, the, she, I'm sorry, Abby, I didn't mean to pick on you. Um, But, like, like, the bigger coins would be made of larger amounts of metal. They would have more worth because the amount of money... Uh, the amount a coin was worth was, you know, like, oh, look, it's a silver coin, and it's about this big, so it's worth that much. So you would stand back, and you would throw your coins into this thing, and it would make a lot of noise, and then everybody knew you were throwing a lot in, right? And it was a big show. Look at how much my offering is. How awesome is that? I am holy, and I am blessing the temple. Aren't you guys glad I'm here? Um, flowing robes in a building built on the on the foundation of widows' houses. Um he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Um, this is kind of a, a, a scaling. These coins would have been very, very little and worth almost nothing. Okay, And when I say worth almost nothing, um, one one-hundredth of a denarius, I think is what I read, and um, this would be about five minutes of work at minimum wage. Right? So a little less than what I do every week. Um, <laughs> But, but these are, this is a very, like, so what are these? So you're about 10 minutes worth of, uh, you know, work offering this woman brings. And she throws them into the thing. And these things are, I mean, it's like they're, they're nothing, right? Um, they're, they're, they're so small, they're almost non-existent. And she would, you know, she'd throw it in. And is anybody going to hear it? No. Or if anything, you might be embarrassed that what you're throwing in isn't as loud as the other guy. But, like, this is not a major show for her. This is what she had, right? Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Um, so Christ, I, this is not a sermon about tithing. Don't hear me doing this. Um, what Christ talks to me, he says, listen, 
everybody out there who's doing this stuff, like these teachers of the law and the Sadducees that are out there and they're putting themselves out there and they look awesome, their hearts are rotten, they don't care for the poor, they don't care for widows, they don't care for orphans, they don't care for people. They are all about, look how awesome I am. And when they do their offerings, their offerings are a big show to show how great they are. But this widow, in her humility, gave what she had, right? Um, Nathan's choice of songs here, right? This is, this is a song about somebody who brought what he had, brought what was his best, and worshipped with it, right? Uh, uh, a person who... Um, person who worshipped God from the core of who he was rather than from the extra or the throwaway, right? Um, I always appreciate that, uh, of, of, and I'm a little jealous of folks who get up and lead worship. I can't do that. In fact, my son came up and reprimanded me for leaving my microphone on during singing. Um, <laughs> oh, it's for battery. That's why. <laughs> um, because, because that you know, bringing music is this thing that you bring out of your heart and out of your soul. Um, but when we sing, even if we sing poorly, and I can attest to this, like we bring out of ourselves, like like it's not about the amount, it's not about you know, oh mine is better than yours. It's about like the heart. It's about what we bring that is of value. Um, I, I read a great line when I was researching this: when God measures, when God measures, He doesn't count; He weighs. Because God weighs our hearts, right? Like he weighs the core of us. He weighs our love for him. He weighs our passion for him, um, our desire to serve him, our desire to like see justice and goodness and, and his kingdom come in this world. Like, like what we bring that's of value. And, and as we celebrate Christmas, as we give gifts, I'll tell you, um, um, some of the best gifts... Uh, I, I, uh, I've given and some of the best gifts I've received are, are directly connected to this is what I know this person wants, right? I, I gave Jess an anniversary gift a few years ago, uh, one of Craig's uh, pictures. And, and it was one that she had commented about a year before that she really liked. And when she saw this hanging on the wall, she cried um, because she said, you know, I, you, you knew what I wanted. You knew me, Right. Like a, a gift given from the heart, from the I know you, I love you, you are important to me, is far more valuable. And that's what this song's about. That's what the story of the widow is about. Um, but moving forward, let's understand some stuff. Um, we're going to jump all the way back to the beginning of Luke, right? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this is uh, John the Baptist's mom, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. We've, most of us have heard this, right? Um, I went to Nazareth in, um, in January, and, and it is a small town now, Right? It was smaller than Loma then. In fact, there was actually a running theory that it wasn't there. Like, like that it was made up because they couldn't find it because the ruins were so difficult to find. Like, the, um, if you go to the, the church, that, the, the synagogue um, that, that's in Nazareth, it's a little bigger than one of our rows of pews, the entire building. Um, like, like, it is very tiny. I have a picture here. Um, this is the Church of the Nativity. Um, and what this is... This building is enormous. It's, it's um, 
the courtyard alone is enough to take up half a town on that side, right? Like, the Church of the Nativity is built over the ruins of a house they discovered, they dug up. Um, these are the ruins of, like, who they think this probably was, you know, it was definitely a first century house. For whatever reason, they think it may have been Mary, Mary's childhood home, right? But, like, pillars and all this, it looks really impressive. Probably five or six families lived in this, and at night you would bring your animals in and they would stay in the middle of it, right? Um, I have a photo from inside. Um, gorgeous, wealthy people, right? Well, probably not, actually. If you lived in Nazareth, you were poor, right? This is hillbilly town. Like, this is poor people town. Like, but the person that the angel came to, like the person that God himself chose to carry Christ, um, she was probably 15 at the time. She was a single girl. She lived in a crummy little town in the middle of nowhere, um, in a country in the middle of nowhere, um, in, in, in a tiny little poor person house. Um, and actually, I, I didn't include the text because there's a lot of other handful of things I want to cover yet, and I'm, I, I don't want to, like, preach the next four hours. Um, I do want to, but y'all don't want me to probably. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Al, the Mary turns around and she like composes a song about how she's blessed. Like, like this is a person who just obviously loved God and loved God passionately. What did she have to bring? I mean, a biological function at the end of the day, right? Like she was, what she brought was a heart that loved God, um, she she brought a purity to her, of herself, like this this desire to serve and desire to be subservient. This is an amazing thing, a willingness. Um, and actually remembered, you know, for generations and generations in some places worshipped, which we don't do. Uh, but that's Mary. Let's jump over. Um, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This is the first census that would be taken under Quirinius. Um, or while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went up uh, to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to Nazareth in Galilee, to, from, from Nazareth, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the, for the baby to be born. Um, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay, so we all know this story, right? Born in a barn, placed in a manger. Now, again, I was in Bethlehem for Orthodox Christmas last year. If you go to this place, and John has been there as well, this is not a small building, right? This is... in. Like the, the building that the, the Church of the Nativity is what it's called is enormous. I have a picture. This is inside um, expansive hall. People used to ride their horses um, in through the front door if they were honored for battle. Like, like it was a, you know, and in fact, actually, there's coverings on the floor. You can see the little grates because the horses started ruining the flooring, so they built another floor on top of it. Um, the walls were originally covered in golden mosaics, right? Um, this is the, the building built over the place where Jesus was born. 
Um, the reason they know that, or they, they think that this is probably the case, um, there was a Roman emperor who decided to knock out Christianity. I'm going to wipe these guys out. And he sent um, builders everywhere where there was a Christian church. And they built pagan temples over them. And um, Hadrian was the, was the emperor. And they built these pagan temples over these buildings, or over the original church sites, the worship sites. And um, this happened to be the, there was a pagan building there, a pagan temple, that was built over the spot where they say, well, this is where Jesus was born. Because, you know, they showed up and they asked, well, where was Jesus born? Oh, well, there. All right, well, we're going to put our pagan temple up. Then, many years later, when Christianity was adopted by the Roman Empire, Helen, who was the mother of uh, Emperor Constantine, went and she found this spot. And she said, well, went to Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? And everybody's like, that pagan temple over there, they built that on top of the spot where Jesus was born. So they tore the pagan temple down, and they built this church, the Church of the Nativity. It's the oldest church in the world, um, oldest church in the Holy Lands. Uh, and it was, I mean, it is magnificent now. Back then, it would have been breathtaking. Um, this is the altar at the front. That's gold, right? This is a, I mean, and it's absurd. Like, it's uncomfortable. Like it's, and that's the one in the middle because there's one on either side yet. Like the whole place is so overwhelming and so magnificent. Um, it, it's hard to take it in when you look around. Um, all of the art and the carvings and everything else. This is the side. See that? That's the door to the cave that Jesus was born in. Um, I'm showing you this to kind of, like, we, we think in these huge, beautiful, amazing terms, and we think of the, the manger and the, the barn and all this, and it kind of has a pretty look to it. You go inside that place, they've covered it in marble, but, like, they, they haven't been able to cover it completely in marble, and they've got curtains hanging over everything else because it is ugly. It was a cave that was kept full of animals. I've been in some of y'all's barns, and they don't happen to be very nice. <laughs> This is a cave with less ventilation, right? Like in this nasty little cave, um, Christ was born. And actually they say the manger, and I think this is a total guess. I can't believe that this is accurate. But the, the amount of space in there is almost non-existent. And so the manger is about three feet away from the spot where he was born. You know, like here and here. Um, the place and the position of Christ's birth was so humble and so lowly and so dirty and so, like, minimal. When we realize what God is bringing to us and the message that we draw out of this, um, God didn't desire to overwhelm us. He didn't desire to crush us. He didn't desire to show up as a conquering king. He showed us what it was to be, like, like what we're supposed to be, humble, loving, like servants. And Christ was born in a servant, humble place. Um, I did not include pictures inside. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> jump ahead to the next little section here. Um, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I, will, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This is, and this will be a sign unto you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a man, cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to all those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into the heavens, the shepherds said, 
to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the night shift of shepherds. Most of you all have heard me say this before. No one liked shepherds back then, right? Shepherds, everybody assumed they went to hell when they died, right? So much so, like, because they couldn't go to temple and they couldn't worship. You had to watch your sheep all the time, right? And so, like, they would bury these guys with a handful of um, wool. So they had, like, a doctor's note. You know, God, I'm sorry I didn't show up to church. Here's my wool. You know, like, I, I was busy. Um, <laughs> but they, I mean, these guys, they weren't allowed to testify in court because um, rabbis in the ancient world assumed that, like, shepherds lied. Like, people couldn't trust them, and so they were not allowed to testify in court. Like, low, low, low on the social scale. Um, what did they bring? They came and they worshipped, right? The poorest, lowliest, like, like dirtiest, nastiest, smelliest people went to a cave to worship the God who created the universe. Um, they got to witness angels singing, like, glory and praise to God, um, no one, very few people have seen that in history, and he's like, nobody's got this. Why? Because what God desires of us is not great shows, right? Ultimately, what these guys did was they played their part. They went and they worshipped Jesus. They loved him from where they were. Um, they brought what they had. Um, was it perfect? Probably not, I'm guessing. Um, was it the best they had? Yeah. Um, what really matters, and understand this as we go into Christmas, like what really matters ultimately is like the heart that we carry in um, and how it translates into our lives. Like, like um, this is all the beginning of a bigger story where um, Christ lives a humble life and he um, dies in humiliation. And this is God's plan for saving us. Um, and we are saved for the purpose of changing our hearts to be what God desires them to be from our own sin, from our own fallenness, from our own brokenness. Um, we are saved from our actions. Um, Christ came to die for us. Um, he is the offering that God brings. Actually, I, I considered including Abraham where God had Abraham offer his son because that's what this story is. This is the story of God sending his son to die for us. Um, what Abraham offered was worthwhile. It was his son. It was the best he had. Um, what God desires from us um, isn't wealth. It isn't power. It isn't pretty everything. It's, it's the best we have. He desires our hearts. He desires our souls. He desires us to love him. Um, I think it was a lesson I learned way too late as a husband. I wish I had learned it a lot earlier. That, that the things my wife loves the most and the things my kids seem to love the most is not the best toy or the best gift or the shiniest rock that I can buy or, or whatever. It's time with me. It's the love and the, the affection and the devotion. That's what matters, right? And ultimately, when we worship Christ, when we celebrate his birth, what God desires of us is, is his best. You know, Nathan says he gets teary-eyed because of the perfectionist, right? Like, I can never do this perfect. But ultimately, on my best day, I'm not half the preacher that, like, Charles Spurgeon was. And I'm sure Charles Spurgeon isn't half the preacher that Jesus was, right? Um, the best I have is the best I have. Um, when I sing, I sing badly. Nathan sings better. But you put Nathan next to the chorus of the heavenly host. Sorry, guy. <laughs> um, but ultimately, what God weighs... God weighs our hearts. God watches and watches and sees how we love the poor amongst us, 
how we love the widow, how we love the rejected, how we love the sinner and the lost and the, the folks who are, are dying in their sin that Christ died to save them from. Like, this is what God desires from us. He desires hearts that belong to him. And so my challenge for you today, my encouragement, um, is that this next few weeks, this season, um, and for the rest of your lives, honestly, is that you worship God with everything. Like, that you celebrate this Christmas celebrating the birth of, like, God's Son who saved us from sin. Like, the best demonstration of God's love for you is in Christ. The best demonstration of who God is is in Christ. And all he wants is everything from us. It's easy. Um, I'll close in prayer and I'll let you all be. Um, Heavenly Father, I I pray that you would be with us. Um, I pray that you would give us grace to serve you and, and to belong to you and to be your people. Um, Lord God, I know I'm not perfect, and I know I'm in a room full of folks who ain't perfect. Um, But Lord, I pray that you would help us to know um, that you don't want the best, you just want our best. Um, Help us to belong to Christ so we can truly say, like, he is my Lord. I belong to him. He bought me um, with his blood, and I am his. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.